Oh, Adam. Joshua Townsend, Zellner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way, when do you use the Zellner and when not the Zellner? Oh, when it's more um, official or whatever. Because that, that is when, the legal last name. When so. there are Jews in the audience? Oh, no. <laughs> then I'd be using it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's more of a spontaneous thing. If I, if I don't want to be questioned, you know, yeah. if I just want like ease of entry, yeah. you know. But I, what I wanted to ask you though was real quick: is do you think it'd be okay to do like uh, like an announcement of the of the upcoming class I'm doing at uh, at the Braid in Santa Monica on Monday nights? <laughs> it sounds like a question statement. No, it's it's a real authentic question because it's starting on um, Monday, uh, September seventeenth at seven o'clock, and I just I just wanted to run it by you before you know we did it for the show. Is this a lead into an episode on consent? <laughs> Could you, could, could you just initial here, sign here? But I just wanted to hold your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody says. So wait, the industrial area in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. So right around like Stewart, exactly. Colorado. Yeah, you know where Lionsgate is. I do. The, the water. Yeah, it's yeah. just. Up they the don't let me there. in there, but I've dr- I drive by and wave. It's probably better not <laughs> yeah. to go in there. Yeah, near the wa- uh, uh, the water park. Yeah, mm-hmm. that area. Yeah, nice. So place. Monday nights, mm-hmm. seven to ten. Mm-hmm. And what are we? What are we going to be uh, teaching? I'm going to be teaching all about. You know, basically the creative process, what, what, exactly what we go over right here. The creative process and storytelling for writers, actors, directors, anyone interested in deepening their process. See, si. oh, people. Oh, and, and I'll be, I'll be, I'll be teaching in in English. Yeah, I didn't want anyone to think. Si. Oh wow, see. Si. Yeah. I guess the uh, spoilers that people have already started signing up. So. Yeah. Get it while it's good. And to get it, you just go to notesonyournotes.com, click on today's episode, and there's a link there to register for the class and to get more information. Or even better, go to our Facebook page, Notes on Your Notes. Just search for that on Facebook if you haven't liked us already. Uh, And there's an event there with links and more descriptions all about it. And you can also get all of Josh's great posts about the creative process and storytelling there. Now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. Hey, Adam, it's time for Notes on Your Notes. I'm Adam Lesser. And I'm Joshua Townsend. Welcome to Notes on Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process and storytelling. And on today's episode... We're going to talk about setup. We are. We're going to talk about setup. It's kind of like when you set up your friends mm-hmm. with another romantic partner. That's right. Potential. Mm-hmm. There's so many assumptions that go into that when that happens. Like their character will fit with this person's character. There'll be attraction. Uh-huh. It uh-huh. might work. Yeah. It's high risk. <laughs> high risk, low reward. <laughs> but friends still do it. Right. Yeah. Do you have friends who reach out to you and are like, could you set me up? <laughs> and and when they say that, I go, you know, there's a reason why they call it a setup. <laughs> and I would love to. And it's not a positive connotation? <laughs> well, I've never heard, oh, that was a setup. I've never heard that as like usually positive. Have you? I'm trying to think if I know of anyone it's usually rather derogatory who is with of someone as a result of being set up. Set up. It was a setup. Usually, there's anger and resentment after the word setup, and I'm not even talking about romance. I'm talking about just the word phrase setup. There is this implication of a lot of forethought. 
Mm-hmm. Like something was created beforehand and then it was going to yeah. unfold. Mm-hmm. You know? the, thus the word set up. Right, yeah, because you're setting something up. It's not by happen chance. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I know Jennifer and Roger and I know their past and who they are. And if we put them in a room together, maybe they'll mate, mm-hmm. you know? Right. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Maybe they'll make for life. Yeah, this is a good idea. Isn't that amazing? Most people think this is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And and we do the same thing with our creative projects. We do the same thing with stories. stories We're like, yeah. this will be a good setup. This will be a good setup. You see it in movies a lot with mm. the log line. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. So basically what a log line is, uh, is a, like a one sentence description of a movie. So for big it, with Tom Hanks, it would probably be something along the, along the lines of, when a child gets his dream of living in an adult body, mm-hmm. X happens. I can't mm-hmm. remember the second half of that. Yeah. But like, that's the setup, right? Mm-hmm. We know the setup. Mm-hmm. Okay. So setups are important because they tell you like basically where we enter the story and where the characters have come from. Mm-hmm. And then if they're done well, they should make it easy to understand how the story is going to unfold. Not in a predictable way, but more in a sense of where the characters might be going. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, call, I have a phrase for that called stacking the deck. You want to stack the deck a certain way so that when it rolls out, when the setup rolls out. They actually, this is like a gambling thing, right? Where you, you, have, you have a stack the deck and then you set up the hand to be a certain way. Right. Which helps it to leverage or position to be leveraged to be played a certain way. Wow, I never thought of that. Just, oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, you amaze yourself. Sometimes. Yeah, that, well, I made a discovery. Uh huh. <laughs> um, so, in order to do this episode, Josh emailed me and said, "Why don't we watch the first fifteen minutes of a movie we've neither of us have seen, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll try to guess what happened." <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so we selected a movie, and what I wanted to say about this is that I was kind of like. I thought this exercise was a little odd at first Mm -hmm. because we have talked about this before about rather than watching a full movie, watching six or eight movies, the first 10, 15 minutes, the Mm -hmm. first 15 minutes, 15. Mm -hmm. And you learn basically Mm -hmm. a lot about the story based on what the quote unquote setup is, where Mm -hmm. we find the characters in their lives, Mm -hmm. what they want. And Mm -hmm. then usually, you know, a Hollywood film is such a form. Mm-hmm. It's really a form, and I don't want to. I, I want to say that because I, not all stories operate on this strict sort of formulaic world, but a lot of Hollywood films operate on that first fifteen-minute setup, introduce the character, introduce the important relationships, and then give us the incident that's going to set them on their journey. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, I just want to interject one little thing here about that, which is it's true we have a, it's very formulaic in a certain way. However, even in a novel. Or like a, what's that called? A mystery novel, you know? If 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 all the players that you're going to consider are not introduced in the first, let's say thirty percent, whatever that thirty percent of the storyline is, it feels a little unfair if the butler is introduced in the last ten pages and he's the one who did it. You know what I mean? It's like there are certain baselines that I feel are, are true of all stories. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, you know, what's the Chekhov quote? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's Chekhov. We see the gun in the first stack and he needs to go off with the third. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of intrigued a little bit by this exercise because the screenwriter who wrote Miss Sloan, that Jessica Chastain movie set in DC about lobbying, he was kind of an unknown writer 
and he wrote that script and he, he kind of like, I think had another career. He was a lawyer, I think I could be wrong, but when he decided he wanted to be a screenwriter, one of the things he started doing before he went to work, he's read the first 60 pages of a script. Mm. And then during the day while I was at work, he would try to think what the second half would be. He would try to write it in his head. It's sort of an interesting exercise to do. And we're doing that sort of on a different way. But anyways, we'll get to it. The movie we chose for really no reason. No reason. Random. Very <laughs> totally random. Totally random. Mm-hmm. Was the 1997 uh, drama, The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. with, And it's not about a leprosy colony. I just want to be really straight up with that. Yeah, It's exactly. not about leprosy. Cool if it were. And it's not about like two guys that haven't had dates in a long time either. <laughs> it's... Because it could have been The Untouchables. No, no. It's not Josh and I's high school story. <laughs> right. Just want to be clear with that. It was random. We didn't know what we were doing. We chose The Untouchables for... There was really no reason. I don't know why we chose it at all. I guess maybe because David Mamet wrote it, but not... not I would really. lo- Having watched the first 15 minutes, not one of his masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian, uh, uh, Brian directed it. Brian De Palma directed it, yeah. most famous probably for Scarface. We went for it anyways because <laughs> because it was free on Hulu. So this is important. If you want to play along, you could go watch the first 15 minutes of The Untouchables. It's streamable on Hulu or you could spend $3 and watch it on, I think, YouTube or mm-hmm. Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried to find a totally free movie on YouTube for everyone. It wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. <laughs> we found Better Off Dead with, with John Cusack from 1985. And I was okay with it, but Josh was horrified. It was cringeworthy. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, not John Cusack's best work. Okay. So, Josh, how would you describe the setup of The Untouchables? It, predictable. To be predictable in one sense. You know, there was no, oh, gosh, I hope this little girl doesn't get blown up. <laughs> because we knew she had to. You know, it was not like, and yeah, we didn't have any real engagement with her, so we didn't. I didn't have an emotional reaction. So let me give the the listener some context. Yeah, uh, we, we enter the first fifteen minutes of this movie. Uh, we meet Al Capone, played by Robert De Niro. He's a mob boss in the nineteen thirties. They tell us uh, this because there's a huge super, a Chiron, in the opening, explaining to us it's the thir- a thirteen gangland um, mob fight in uh, Chicago. Uh, and then we meet Elliot Ness, who's the treasury agent, who's obviously going to take him on. Uh, and then basically the first 15 minutes ends on Elliot Ness going after an import of illegal whiskey. It's prohibition and him being duped. They mm-hmm. make the bust and instead of whiskey, it's uh, umbrellas. Yeah, which doesn't make sense because they're like Asian umbrellas from Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, what? I mean, visually it looks pretty, but it really was not a good artistic I think choice. part of what bugged you about the opening to this mm. is that the scene writing was a little bit like predictable and on some the of the dialogue nose. was on the nose so on the nose let's go get them boys yeah um, I think Kevin Costner at one point says smoke them if you got them yeah that was really a nice touch yeah so one thing I will say about this movie is it's totally clear where everyone's point of view is from the setup and what we know what this is going to be about yeah we really know, and Josh and I haven't seen this movie. We purposely picked a movie unseen, but this is Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, taking on Al Capone, played by Robert De Niro, about prohibition. Bob, Bobby, is what we call him, Bobby. I'm not, I'm not on that turf <laughs> with him. Um, and that setup is clear. The context is clear. Mm-hmm. They tell us the context. It's a, it's a gangland sort of mob fight with the government, prohibition. So in that respect, 
everything is laid out pretty clearly. And I think this movie actually, from a box office perspective, I think it did very well. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some issues of just watching 80s movies now with the shots are really slow. Particularly that opening credit, which was like two minutes of nothing. Mm -hmm. But I would say that what I learned from the opening setup was just exactly what we're about to see. And I think that irked you a little bit because it felt a little bit actually like a simple action movie, Mm -hmm. which is maybe what it really is. We're just about to see a bunch of back and forth. And there's probably going to be some sort of twist at the end where someone inside the government organization is dirty and there's going to be a betrayal probably, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the <laughs> photographer is going to be involved somehow. Oh, yeah. There's this nebbishy photographer that's following Kevin Costner around. Right. Um, from the beginning of this. We have no idea. He's kind of like he's got one of those old timey cameras and mm-hmm. he snaps a photo of Kevin Costner with uh, the umbrella instead of a bottle of whiskey and. He's going to play some role. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe he'll become endangered or he'll be used. You think he'll be used against Costner by the uh, mob? I feel like he's, I feel like he's probably there as a plant and he's going <sighs> to, and he's like, he's the guy who's going to like, he's feeding bad information to someone. He's a mole basically. Okay. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Also, Sean Connery is in this movie. We did not meet him in the first 16 minutes, we but didn't. I imagine he's going to play a significant role. A cop, probably. A cop. Malone. A, a Malone, cop. according to the credits. Oh, okay, so there you go. So it's got to be a cop. <laughs> An with Irish a cop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So here's, I mean, you know, it's so interesting because th- there's part of it that's the, 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 the script, the script part of the storytelling, and then there's the visual part of the storytelling. And I felt like, you know, okay, an aerial view for really nothing at the very beginning you know, of some guy getting shaved. Yeah, and the opening, it's an aerial shot of Robert De Niro getting shaved, Al Capone. Yeah, and it's a room full of men as he's getting shaved. It's like the king. Yeah. Basically, it's the king being right. shaved and everyone standing by watching. Yeah. Attendance and security and everything else. And it's sort of the setup for the theme, his perspective, which is that he, he's a businessman, not a criminal. Which is what he tells us. Which that's what he, that's the that's the verbiage, uh huh. And then and then the, he's getting a shave. Now this this you know just as a point of reference, he could be having a mani pedi, you know, he could be having a haircut, but he's not. He's getting shaved with a straight edge straight edge razor, right? Mm-hmm. And so he pulls out the blade, and immediately accidentally, and I'm doing little air quotes, cuts him, and he bleeds. Now, from a tension point of view, the scene is over from a visual perspective. Why wouldn't you let that shave happen a little bit longer without any mishap and then at the end bring in that that tension release? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was yeah. my question. Yeah, no, you're right. That was a good point. I didn't see that. But yeah, because as soon as he gets cut, suddenly there's, you know, that he's agitated. And, mm-hmm. and they use this, they did this shave scene in another movie maybe it was mississippi burning but mm-hmm. someone goes into a barbershop and he's you know this guy is not welcome in the town and they start to shave him up from the neck up mm-hmm. and then someone comes in to talk to him and mm-hmm. he's got his head back on the barber's chair and as they slowly start as he shaves they slowly start to cut into the skin the guy the barber mm-hmm. so i've seen it done the exact scene you're talking about in a slow measured way but i want to talk about setup because like i feel like you have a lot of problems with the scene writing the way the scenes mm-hmm. roll out. Mm-hmm. But why, like, I want to ask you, why do you pay so much attention to setup and what did you notice in the setup of The Untouchables that you didn't like? I felt like it, I felt like it wasn't done in, in a unique way. I felt like it was pretty methodical and very sort of 
to be expected. I wasn't I wasn't on the edge of my seat. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. No surprises. Give me something interesting. Like for instance, um, so they they cut him accidentally shaving, right? And that's in a professional situation where he's basically the king, like you said, right? And he have, has all his men around him. And then we go to the opposite, which is the guy who's going to be hunting him, which is a family life, wife in the kitchen, cutting carrots, fresh carrots for her husband, you know, little snacks. And then we go into him and he's reading about the evilness that's happening. And then his wife sends him along and says, okay, darling, make a good impression. Yeah, it was interesting because we watched um, the Better Off Dead first. Mm-hmm. And our comment was like, oh my God, this is just so such a formulaic rom-com. Mm-hmm. And the opening setup was so basic. Mm-hmm. And it was a much lower budget movie. And then we watched The Untouchables, which was from made two years later, which was obviously a huge budget movie. You know, Brian De Palma, David Mamet, De Niro, Connery, like all these famous people. And it was equally just completely simple. Mm-hmm. So I would say the good thing about this setup is that we know exactly what is what this story is about some setups i want to just point out we don't actually know what the story is about they're all over the place where mm-hmm. the characters it's not clear what they want it's not clear where they are in their life there are pro- those are problems um and those problems usually play out because the ending starts to get weird mm-hmm. but your criticism which i think is is true is that a good setup relies on nuanced character development yes and that's what you're annoyed by. You're yes. annoyed by the fact that neither the, we'll call him the protagonist, Elliot, uh, Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, the guy who's going to chase down the bad guy, mm-hmm. and Robert De Niro, neither of them are very nuanced. They're really kind of right down the middle. They are. Good cop and bad guy. Mm-hmm. And that movie is a little bit boring to watch. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, like, neither of those characters have secrets. Neither of them do we think will do anything unpredictable and there's not a lot of tension in the scenes because you know we don't have anything to grip onto there's nothing at stake it's like it's like if if kevin costner's wife was a closet alcoholic i'd be so interested so much more interested yeah i'm going to use the example of lethal weapon which i think was made a few years after this Mm. which was a shane black script um shane i just want to say shane I appreciate your work, man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- you really like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, right? Yeah, uh, yes, and I've liked a lot of his other work, too. It, it, mm-hmm. At least it has an interesting... So, it, it's a little bit different. It's a buddy cop movie, but we meet Mel Gibson's character, um, Riggs, and his opening, you clearly see he's a little crazy. You see him get in fights with um, people picking on a dog, I believe, in the opening. Mm-hmm. But he talks to the dog like the dog can hear him and the dog is speaking to him like he has these really interesting character quirks in that movie. And there are a lot of moments in that movie where you realize that he wants to die. Mm-hmm. That, and, you know, like he goes up in these credible dangerous situations where there's a scene in that movie where a guy is jumping off a building, a suicide. And he's like, let's jump together. You know, he's like, let's do it. Mm-hmm, you know, he right, acts right. like the crazy guy or yeah. there's a hostage situation where he allows himself to be taken hostage mm-hmm. so that now he's he's like, you know, these drug dealers like take me and they put a, a gun to his head. It makes him interesting yeah. because he's not just a straight like moral. I'm a good guy. Mm-hmm. He's actually a good guy with a really 
psychotic past that has made him crazy and have, has a little bit of a death witch. Yeah. And that's what makes him interesting when he gets paired with Danny Glover's character. Because mm-hmm. Danny Glover is a family man who's a, you know who just wants to retire, right. li- get his boat and his cop pension. Right? But the reason I'm mentioning it is because that it's on page one that Riggs is crazy. And we're going to root for this crazy guy but he's got some nuance and some interesting. So I want to point out. I want to point out that, that they did. They did the, the the perfect pairing. So they do. They do a guy who has nothing to lose and everything to gain. So he'll take all the risks in the world, and it's not a problem. And they paired him with a guy who has everything to lose, and he is working for retirement. Just wants to show up and do and do the least amount and get home every night. Right. And so those opposite polarities will be fantastic. In the same way with. Brian De Palma's film, you have the crook businessman paired against the good Christian man who says, don't take any alcohol while you're working on this special forces task force. That's how noble I am. Yeah, I mean, the p- part of the problem of the setup is everyone is just so uh, simple. These characters are very simple characters. Mm-hmm. It was like the same problem with Better Off Dead. They were mm-hmm. <laughs> like... It was really funny. If you want to watch Better Off Dead, you can go watch it. It's free on YouTube. But and it should be. <laughs> and it's it's very cookie cutter. Like uh-huh. it's a rom com. It's so eighties. Like, you know, you've got the handsome blonde guy who's gonna steal John Cusack's girl and he's kinda like the guy who is then gonna try to get her back but fall in love with the French neighbor. But everyone no one does anything different. Mm-mm. I, I guess what I'm thinking now is there are two components to this setup. There's one that these really simplistic movies do properly, which is that they set it up so we know the trajectory and the point of view and what each character wants, mm-hmm. which, to be fair, a lot of people don't right. do. Right. Clean. Uh, clean. Very clean, clean uh, reader, You know, you see a lot of scripture, just like, what do these characters want and how yeah. do they relate to each other? Yes. That is not true of all these. These, yes. we know 100% everyone's <laughs> relationship, what everyone's relationship is going to be, mm-hmm. how they relate to each other. Mm-hmm. Right? That's so true. The problem has more to do with the fact that these characters are not particularly nuanced and so we know exactly how every scene's going to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the experience I think you're talking about is that because they're so moralistic and clean, mm-hmm. We're just like, oh, every scene. And also there's some pacing issues in terms of yeah. um, around the 15th minute mark where we, they do the bust and it's not, it's not the liquor that they'd been tipped off to. He's been duped. The only way that scene can operate is if he's been duped. Yeah. And in fact, we know that. Yeah. And I wonder about the evolution and the intelligence of movie audiences. I wonder if we've seen so many movies and we've seen the form so many times that you just can't get, you can't do that. Like that might've been more okay in 1987 you don't think so Mm-mm, no no because you're in a big movie theater and you know we do the same thing with like i don't know the uh, what was that called baby baby driver baby driver or or the italian job or Le- or what's the other one uh, fast and the furious seven. Oh, yeah, the setups are all very yeah, simple very simple and we know yeah we know, we know how scenes end before they uh, just as soon as they begin mm-hmm. and we're okay with that you know i mean you know, well because in those movies we go to watch yeah Cars go fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So set up. Mm-hmm. Something to think about when you start a story, which is what are the character relationships to each other? What is the nuance of that character? What's driving them? And then how do you roll that out so we understand the relationships between the characters well, but also create openings for unexpected? I just want to mention Breaking Bad right now because it's one of my go-tos. Uh-huh. But Breaking Bad, from a certain perspective, is very predictable. And at the same time, it's nuanced enough to be compelling, interesting, 
and lures you in. Yes, it enrolls in a way in which we're very, um, at each point where I'm wondering how Walter White is going to get out of this jam. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought they did so well is there's just, they keep getting them into difficult situations. And once in those difficult situations, the possibilities of getting them out mm-hmm. multiply, mm-hmm. which makes us interested mm-hmm. and suspenseful, even if we know that he's going to get out. And even if we did the log line, when a, when a science high school teacher who dreams the big dream has never gone to anything and is now the loman, you know, in the world, uh-huh. uh, and when he's diagnosed with cancer on his 50th birthday, you yeah. know. When a disgruntled, he, yeah, yeah, he when a disgruntled t- high school science teacher learns he has cancer and needs money for his family, he begins making math. Yeah. Right? I mean, so that would be the log line for that. And that sounds like so trite, so, you know, predictable. And yet, so execution. Yeah. Not what, how. Yeah. And that's because his character setup is very complex. It's also who's doing the work. It's uh, because if you put that same, that same script into someone else's hands and other actors, other directors, it wouldn't, uh, editors, it wouldn't have come out the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the things about Kevin Costner's performance in Untouchables is that he doesn't leave a lot of room for any questioning of what he's doing. Like, mm-hmm. he, he has fully embraced mm-hmm. the moral clarity. Mm-hmm. And, th- and I sometimes do wonder if, you know, big-name movie stars, particularly in the 80s and 90s, were drawn to these moralistic sort of leading roles that were so clean and they got to be heroic. Leading man, right. He's the leading man, yeah. And particularly in that time, you know, mm-hmm. he was such a a big star. Yeah, he, well, he, that's what I mean. He was the leading man. He was coming up. Yeah. I mean, this was before Dances with Wolves, but he was still becoming quite famous. Yeah. That is an interesting question because he definitely wasn't the anti-hero at all. In fact, he's embracing it. You know, you know what it also reminded me of when they went in and, and you know, did the raid? Uh-huh. Um because Giorgio Armani did the costume uh-huh. design on that film, and it's laid out in the opening credits, by the way. Check it out. It had a, it had a very Hitler-esque kind of vibe. Did, uh, you, know, did you notice that? Kind of gooshed off, you know? Kind well, of like the way the... So Co- Kevin Costner's character goes in with this police force, you know, a 1930s SWAT team, as mm-hmm. it were, mm-hmm. and they dress very tight, crisp outfits. Mm-hmm with guns and they move in this very regimented sort of forceful way which i think is probably what you're talking about reminiscent of nazi germany and those and those high you know leather boots, boots. which look a little sexy you visually know. yeah there's a vi- yeah there's a yeah. there's a visual flavor of that period which is very regimented yeah and i went wow this is really interesting that they kind of like give that undertow to how we are in a sense being like you know nazi germany here you know, it, during the prohibition. During the prohibition, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of there's. I felt like there's like a cultural shaming going on, actually. Yeah, because if you think about it, there would have been a lot of uh, room, less on Al Capone's character, but more on Costner's character to be sort of to be sort of morally conflicted. You know, it's like yeah. everyone's drinking anyways. Why are you killing people? Over yeah. It? Why are you starting a war? Yeah. You know, that is sort of there was room for that. Mm-hmm. either in the script or in the performance. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it yet. I don't know. Maybe he has a... Maybe I, I do wonder if that plays out if he starts to... There's a moral questioning that happens in his character as the body count piles up and people keep drinking and what's this all for? Because that's the archetypal... Mm-hmm. I think Sicario mm-hmm. um, is somewhat about that. That's a movie by um, 
Denis Villeneuve directed it mm-hmm. with Emily Blunt. Um, mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve made Arrival, one of my favorite movies. He's a brilliant director. But yeah, there's a sort of questioning about the value of the drug war. Yeah. Like, why are we doing this? Yeah, what are we doing And that here? becomes yeah. a more complicated, interesting sort of s- movie. But set up, things to remember, ca- clear character relationships, clear point of view, and also nuanced rollout so that we think that scenes could go different ways. Yes. Yes. This has been Notes on Your Notes. Thanks so much for listening. Please go to our Facebook page and like us, Notes on Your Notes. You can also find us on Instagram. On the Facebook page, you get all of our episodes updated, and you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.